Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. And backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, WABC Cop Talk listeners. This is retired New York City Police Department Captain Ed Mamet filling in for our usual host, retired first grade detective Kevin Schroeder, who is on the line remotely somewhere in space in the service of his majesty who knows what he's doing but um, i get this chance once in a while to be captain of the ship and since i was a captain in the past i'm filling in the, the, the job i always had kevin say hello to our audience hello everyone welcome to cop talk Thank you, Captain. You're welcome, Detective. Now that I'm in charge, I have the uh, <laughs> I have the uh, pleasure of introducing our guest, who uh, was a former colleague of mine years ago when I was in the police department, retired Lieutenant Al Baker, who spent many years in the emergency service unit, which at one time when I came into the department was called the Emergency Service Division. So Al was uh, quite well known at the time. Uh, he was a trainer. I trained under him. And uh, we have the pleasure of having him here today. Uh, let me give you a little background. Al is now the president of Baker Ballistics and uh, ba- ba- Baker Ballistics, the inventor of a U.S. patented shield, uh, a ballistic shield that um, police use for protection. And um, he has an interesting uh, post department career. And uh, I'd like you to um, hear what he has to say. Uh, so, Al. Give us a background of uh, emergency service, how it formed or when it formed, and, and your career in, um, in law enforcement. Okay, uh, thank you, and it's my honor to be here. Um, the emergency service unit was uh, officially established in 1930, uh, and it was uh, intended uh, to be a multifaceted rescue organization handling all of the heavy rescue and heavy emergency situations in the city that the police force uh, would need assistance with. Uh, the standard uh, expression in, uh, in emergency service in NYPD is when a citizen needs help, they call the cops. When the cops need help, they call emergency service. So it's any and all uh, situations that uh, get beyond the scope of the average police response. Uh, everything from uh, suicides, jumpers, uh, hostage situations, barricaded suspects, animal conditions, water emergencies, uh, transportation emergencies, uh, hazardous materials, uh, emotionally disturbed persons, uh, which uh, EDPs we call them. We used to call them psychos. Now we call them EDPs. Uh, everyday people. No, I'm sorry, emotionally disturbed persons. Politically correct. Politically correct. (laughs) Uh, So that's pretty much the overview. There's 10 uh, emergency squads uh, among 77 precincts in the five boroughs of New York City, and uh, the uh, squads cover multiple precincts and uh, join together when major emergencies occur throughout the city, uh, such as, unfortunately, the World Trade Center, where uh, we uh, lost 14 members of ESU on that tragic day. 
And uh, so um, the second part of your question was my career. I started in uh, New York PD in 1965. Uh, I was still 21 at the time. I was out of the military and uh, was honored to join the only uh, uh, job that I ever wanted and the only role I ever wanted in my life was to be a New York City cop, the best police department in the country at the time, I felt. And uh, I started in the 69th Precinct in Canarsie in 65, went to emergency service in 1968, truck six, went to truck seven in Brooklyn in 1969, uh, in 1975, we had the uh, fiscal collapse in the city. I went to truck eight. Uh, then I went to truck 10. Then I made sergeant in 1981, went to the 7-7 precinct, the 8-1 precinct, the Brooklyn North Task Force, came back to emergency in 1982. Uh, they gave me the lovely position of being in a lieutenant spot and a citywide supervisor as a sergeant. And at that point, I stayed in emergency for the remainder of my career until I made lieutenant and retired in 1990. So that's pretty much my whole my whole NYPD career. Well, you had a career like Walter Klotzbeck, Klotz oh, Mr. Emergency. Walter Klotzbeck was uh, Mr. Emergency indeed. He was the most legendary commanding officer of emergency service in our history. He, uh, he was actually a cop in 1930 and rose to the rank of chief. At the time, it was the Emergency Service Division, which at that time included harbor and aviation. So uh, the original concept was land, sea, air. It was, uh, you know, the Marines were the ESU and the Air Force and uh, the uh, Harbor Police, the, the Marine Bureau. And, and what I'd like to point out to our listening audience is that what everybody calls SWAT. Right. New York never really had a SWAT. That's a West Coast term. However, correct me, Al, if I'm wrong, the emergency service <coughs> unit is now the official New York City SWAT. Um, they, they do what um, SWAT teams do. They took, they've taken on this role, uh, and they do it magnificently. Am I correct? Thank you, and yes, you're absolutely correct. Uh, SWAT, of course, was an LAPD-born uh, term, uh, meaning special weapons and tactics. And, uh, of course, Hollywood and the uh, original TV series called SWAT was what promoted the concept. Uh, we had a legendary uh, commanding officer of ESU by the name of Danny St. John. And Danny St. John used to say, SWAT, we're not. And uh, what, what he meant was that, you know, we are basically a multifaceted team where we'll do the rescue work, but we'll also do the apprehension work in the hostage barricade and the so-called SWAT work. And that still exists today. And what I'd like to point out is that a very well-known, famous person was the commanding officer at one time of uh, the emergency service unit. And that, that was our former police commissioner, a dear friend of mine, Raymond Kelly whose son is also a member of the WABC staff. And Ray Kelly was the commanding officer for quite a while. Yeah, Ray Kelly was my boss for quite a while, and you couldn't find a more upstanding, more qualified, uh, better uh, cop and boss and commissioner in the world. He was the top of the list. Just a great guy, a Marine, a lawyer, and a, a great guy, a great thinker, and a great innovator. And a class act. A <laughs> major class act. Thank you. Uh, Al, what was your most challenging experience with the ESU? 
Well, that's a pretty good question. Uh, you know, every every day was a challenge, and every day was an honor to be there. And uh, you know, having having the opportunity to work with such great heroes was really a humbling experience. You know, guys like Richie Seberg, who you know put a put a rope around his body and jumped off a fifty-story building to rescue a stranded scaffold man. Uh, you know, Eddie Coulter, who climbed up to the roof, the uh, crown of the Statue of Liberty to take a jumper down, you know, people like that. And it's just it, the whole the whole experience of being in ESU and being able to work with such great heroes was a humbling experience. Uh, I, I mean, challenging, you know, uh, it's just so hard to isolate one incident that is the mo- was the most challenging, but I will say, since you mentioned Ray Kelly, uh, he was my captain on the night that we uh, took the shooter of a uh, police officer who was killed in a line of duty, Gabe Vitali, 109 Precinct, and uh, we went in on a warrant to apprehend the suspect, and he th- he pulled a pin on a hand grenade and threw it at us. It was a dud; otherwise, we'd all be dead. And then he had a misfire on his 45 uh, semi-automatic Vanguard Thompson replica machine gun. And uh, if it wasn't for that, we'd, be, we'd also be dead. And uh, we took the guy into custody. And uh, it, was, it was a tough night, but it was also a rewarding night because, you know, we didn't get hurt. The suspect got a couple of, got a couple of shotgun pellets in his shoulder. But other than that, uh, we, were, we came away okay. Uh, Al, let me ask you, what was the most rewarding thing about being with the Elite Emergency Service Unit? I, I have to say the most rewarding thing was being able to walk with those heroes. You know, I mean, these are a bunch of people that are so dedicated, so honorable. You know, they'd go out and, uh, you know, get into a shooting and come back to the coffee table in quarters and talk about their broken lawnmower. You know, they were just the most humble family guys, practical guys, honest guys, and guys that that taught you the lessons of life every day. So the rewards were endless. I mean, having spent 22 years in emergency service and having been able to to work with these guys and, you know, to be able to stand up alongside of them and be counted among them is really it's really the most honorable of careers i would do it again in a minute if i could i would i would walk out this door and go work with these guys again in a moment hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt causing anal itching and burning and irritation get fast relief with all natural doctor developed and tested anacool buy anacool a-n-a-c-o-o-l on amazon right now and save 15 percent with code wabc 2024 If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now, what kind of a schedule did you guys do? Was it like a fireman shot? No, we worked a regular patrol shot. We worked around the clock, you know, 8 to 4s, 4 to 12s, midnights to 8. When I was there, we worked a 9-squad shot. So you worked uh, days 4 to 12s, days 4 to 12s, and then a set of late tours, a set of midnights. So, uh, yeah, eight-hour tours. Al, I know you are very familiar with this case, as I am, and I'm sure many of our listeners remember the Eleanor Bumpers case. Yes. Uh, For those uh, listeners who are not familiar with that case, that was a case of an elderly grandmother. Uh, It was about 1983 or 84. Uh, I had just been promoted to captain, in fact. I remember this case very well. She was um, an EDP, um, what we used to call psychos, as Al pointed out before. And um, she was a violent EDP, which is probably one of the most dangerous jobs a police officer can respond to. So the emergency service unit responded. I believe it was a three-man team. Um, uh, correct me, Al, if I'm wrong. It was three men? Uh, it was actually five. Oh, five. All right, I thought yeah. it was three. Yeah. And um, it ended up with her being shot and killed. Yes. And because of her age and the way it happened, it became a cause celebre in the police department. Um, there were investigations, and it resulted in a, a, a whole new way that the handling of EDPs was, um, was um, changed. So can you tell us about that, how it affected EDP training? Well, it completely revolutionized the tactics and training of the emergency service unit in, in sea change ways, um, you know, uh, the initial uh, encounter involved the two police officers in front uh, to, t- to make the apprehension. They had these plastic uh, plexiglass shields, and uh, the woman was stabbing at the shield with a 10-inch butcher knife. When she came over the top of the shield with the knife, uh, the uh, officer with the shotgun as backup uh, necessarily had to shoot her to save the life of his counterpart. And, uh, of course, uh, she died, and that involved the indictment of the police officer for murder, which went five years into the court system, all the way up to the state Supreme Court before he was exonerated. And as a result of that, um, the, the tactics were changed, and the uh, emphasis and the, and the focus on less lethal devices and and means of restraint were capitalized upon. So we ended up uh, doing the taser, which uh, was the electronic stun device, uh, some of the other uh, water cannons and some of the other various training tools. 
And uh, the most significant training uh, change that took place was the EPT training, which I was involved in the founding of, EPT being Emergency Psychological Training Certification, as to uh, compare with Emergency Medical Training uh, Certification. And we, with John Jay College of Criminal Justice and uh, the New York State Office of Mental Health, developed a five-day certification training program basically in talking tactics within the various areas of mental illness to help uh, promote our success rate in, de in dealing in non-lethal matters with uh, emotionally disturbed, violent people, such as Mrs. Bumpers was. Unfortunately, you know, uh, her life had to be taken, but uh, as we said, it, was, uh, it, was, it ended up being a justifiable case. Yeah, I remember the training very well because I was a fairly new captain, and at that time, everybody in the rank of captain and above had to attend your training yes. at uh, Floyd Bennett Field. That's correct. And I remember they showed us the shield, the ballistic shield that was used during the bumpy uh, case, and you could clearly see the gouging yes. the, where the knife struck the shield. Yes. And also, what, what I got a kick out of, you had this robot that talked, yes. and, you would, and you would use this robot to talk to the EDPs, and I, I remember somebody saying that the EDPs would actually talk back to the robot like it was another person. Oh, that's absolutely <laughs> correct. Uh, you had a two-way communication system, and the robot was, of course, a tactical intermediary in dealing with hostage-barricaded suspects. And uh, we could send the robot in and uh, avoid uh, putting a police officer in danger, and it was the first application actually in the country of a full-time, what we say, tactical robot because robots were initially brought into law enforcement for EOD, for Explosive Ordnance Disposition. And, um, you know, we had to transfer the bomb squad robot into a, into a tactical robot. And we actually have cases where suspects actually surrendered to the robot by using the voice commands. Yes. You know, Al, where did you get the idea for the uh, bat shield? Where did that idea come up? Okay, so when I retired from the police department, I went uh, to work for Armor Holdings as a uh, shield expert and uh, tactical uh, trainer for ballistic shields. And I proceeded for the next 10 years to train mostly SWAT teams. I trained over 500 SWAT teams over that 10-year period on regular bunker shields, regular old-style bunker shields with the viewport. And it was that uh, encounter and that uh, educational experience with cops from all over the country that led to the idea that uh, a better shield, a lighter shield, and a more flexible shield should be developed. And that's where I developed it from. So with the bunker shield on, uh, on a high-risk entry, the rifle operator would be in the number two position behind the shield. So that's a disadvantage because the major firepower would be behind the, the, behind the primary entry person. So I decided that we needed a lightweight shield that was flexible that could also deploy with the rifle. So the, the, that person could now be in the, in the number one position. So now for the first time in the history of warfare, the weapon and the shield were together in one hands, one set of hands, I should say, and uh, it would give uh, more, more uh, protection and more firepower in a high-risk entry situation. So basically, I learned how to build it from other cops that I trained. Oh, gotcha. Okay, well, very great concept. Congratulations on that one. Thank you. 
Al, what, what would you say is the biggest challenges facing law enforcement today? I mean, it's a different world today. It's a different job today. But what would you say is the uh, biggest challenges today? I think that law enforcement in general has diminished the lowest common denominator, the patrol force. I think we have to enhance the—I think that's where the biggest weakness lies today, in training and equipping patrol force for uh, responding and, and, and neutralizing active shooter and uh, mass killing situations. You know, we've kind of overlooked them for special teams. Not to put down special teams. We need SWAT teams. We need special tactics. We need all those heavy equipment and highly trained and dedicated individuals. But I think that we've overlooked the training and qualifications of the first responder. Because if we look at some of these uh, terrible situations that have occurred, such as Uvalde, Texas, you know, and in general— by the time the special teams get there, everybody's dead, the job is over, and, uh, we, you know, it kind of defeats the basic premise of law enforcement, which is what? The protection of life and property, everybody's life. Right. And uh, right. so uh, uh, we, have to up, we have to bring up the first responder capabilities, both in, you know, in training and in equipping. Uh, what are your hopes right. uh, for the uh, future of law enforcement? Uh, you know, that we uh, get over this idea of diminishing law enforcement, you know, the movement today to defund the police and to uh, put down the police and sometimes consider police a danger of themselves or a threat of themselves or over-militaristic police. I think we have to uh, el eliminate that uh, concept and bring back the confidence and the trust in police and also bringing up the qualifications and the selection process of police. I think we need to go back to the days when, you know, you had to really uh, be uh, better qualified to be a cop. Well, history always repeats. I'm sure we'll go back sometime to that. I hope so. I'm going to let Kevin take over because this is really his show. And I don't want to upstage this. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Ed. You're doing a great job, Captain. That's why you're the captain. That's it. Um, <laughs> Al, I know you retired in 9-11, but I'm sure you went down to the ground zero, correct? Oh, yes. I was there on the morning of the 12th, and I stayed until the 13th. Now, of course, I was uh, working for ATF at the time. I had left, uh, okay. I had left training, and I had taken a job with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms in Washington, D.C., and I was a training manager and a ballistics program uh, manager, and uh, it was a great job, and uh, I got recruited by them, and, I, and it was a wonderful position. And uh, so on the morning of uh, July, of uh, uh, September 11th, I should say, I, um, I was supposed to go to training in Louisiana with ATF, but of mm -hmm. course uh, the plane struck, and... Uh, and, and we had complete uh, devastation and confusion. I went down there early the next morning and went into the pile with my ESU team. We went right into the into the depth of the of the fires, uh, looking for our lost fourteen uh, members. And yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, mm -hmm. it was uh, it was a yeah. very surreal, very uh, unreal situation i mean i remember uh, back in the 70s uh, back uh, early 70s watching them build those towers we'd go to the edge and we'd look down and 
the, the, uh, the foundation was seven stories deep. You'd be standing on the ground as if you were standing on a seven-story building looking down right. the massive buildings. So now to go back on September 11th, and you felt like you were on another planet. You, you had no sense of orientation because it was complete destruction all over. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. that was my experience. Then I had to go back to Washington to work, go back to work for ATF because obviously we had the Pentagon situation right. going on down there. Right. So they called me back and uh, back to D.C. is where I went. Are you registered with the uh, 9-11 uh, program at Mount Sinai? Yes, I'm, I'm registered with the uh, World Trade Center Health Program. And, uh, you know, I got a couple of conditions going on. Knock wood, uh, you know, I'm still here. I'm, I'm doing okay. And uh, I'm not doing uh, as, as bad as some of my cohorts. And God bless them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, it's unfortunate how many members of service we're losing since 9-11. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's very, very sad. Yeah. But um, but definitely stay with that program. It's a good program, and I hope more and more people realize it's there for them for them to use. Yes. Uh, Al, what advice would you give someone who's considering maybe joining or putting in for the elite emergency service unit? I would, I would strongly advise them to uh, continue to try for it. You know, uh, when I came into uh, emergency in 68, the, the specialized training school was two weeks. You know, we got most of our training on the job from senior uh, members and experienced members. Right. But now today, the school, the specialized training school is eight months long. And it is incredible. The, the, the instructors wow. there. Yeah. Eight months. Uh, it's eight months long. Can you imagine? It's longer than the actual police academy. Yes. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. Six and months. I mean, they do everything. Yeah. Special weapons. You know, what? everybody's a certified diver and the, the dive team. Uh, there's the EPT training. There's the uh, uh, heavy rescue, uh, building collapses, animal conditions, uh, jumpers, suicides, talk tactics, uh, hostage barricade. I mean, the equipment on the trucks is tremendous. So, um, you know, uh, and there is a, there is a failure rate, you know, I mean, they, mm. they do, they do have some people who can't cut it that come in, but you know, you need five years experience and you've got to pass, uh, uh, an interview and an aptitude test and, uh, you know, high angle, uh, you know, uh, stress, you know, you've got to be able to climb the bridges as we do and, uh, work in confined spaces. So there's a pretty uh, serious uh, selection process. And then, of course, there's a heavy pressure interview by uh, three experienced supervisors, and they put them through that. But uh, it's the best job in the world. I mean, it's the cops, cops. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, to go into emergency service and, uh, you know, work in a truck, you know, you go out on patrol and... uh, you're going to go from saving a life to uh, apprehending someone and, you know, all of the most delicate, meticulous yeah. rescues that you could think of, people trapped. 
it's it's the most rewarding experience yep. in the world. It's the best job in the world. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. But you know, you got to be qualified. You know, you know, a, right. little, a little bit yeah. of a little bit of history. Uh, prior to the creation of the emergency medical service of the fire department handling uh, <clears throat> uh, aided cases, the emergency service division was was known for administering oxygen. Right. Right. When 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 I was a young cop, if uh, if oxygen was needed, you would call for emergency service. Right. Are they still doing that? Yes, they do. They still we still have everybody's a state certified EMT, emergency medical technician. Uh, we actually had a doctor on our team uh, years ago. He retired. But, you know, we still do medical rescue uh, to a great extent. You know, I remember when I was a young cop in Brooklyn, uh, we went into a welfare office down the 73 precinct, and uh, there was a woman laying on the floor in a crowded uh, room, and the, 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 the welfare doctor came out of the back. He said, ah, she's dead, fellas. Cancel the ambulance. And uh, we got the oxygen out, and we started giving her resuscitation. And by the time the ambulance got there, we had her breathing. So, uh, you know... It, We've been doing that a long time too. You know, it's uh, it, that's what makes emergencies so wonderful because you're going to save a life and you're going to, you know, you're going to get a lot of rewards by doing that. And and the variation and the ch- and the challenge of the different jobs is just it's just, right. just endless. I remember Al when I was in the police academy in 1985, the instructors would tell us when night when the public needs help, they call 911 and you respond. But when you need help, you call emergency service unit. <laughs> that's right, and that's and it's true. And yep. It's true, and, and that's true. our tagline, and that's we love it. Yeah. You know, and it, <laughs> it's true. We 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 actually pirated the uh, the the Tomcat, and we say anytime, baby, which uh, with the old uh, right. Tomcat fighter plane, and uh, we use right. that. A lot of guys use that for their logo, for our unofficial logo. Hey, Al, tell us about um, tell our audience about the Baker Ballistics website and how they your contact information, how they can get a hold of you and check out your website. Yeah, thank you. So it's www.bakerballistics.com, and uh, there's a whole array of our products and shields on there. And I would recommend going to the uh, there's a shot show video, and uh, Greg Lapin is one of our uh, Sterling instructors, and he does a complete uh, demonstration of all our rifle threat shields. Uh, we have uh, rifle threat shields because now, you know, the, 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 the prevailing threat today is rifles and the materials uh, are able to withstand the uh, high-powered rifle threats. So uh, they can go on that website and see the products. Uh, we make the bat shield, which was the original invention, which is a pistol threat shield, which is a collapsible bat wing looking device. Uh, lightweight and deploys with the rifle. And then we go all the way up to the MRAPS, which is the heavy-duty rifle threat shield. And we combine that with a product called the Reaper, which is an exoskeletal backpack, which has a boom over the top of the helmet and a tether that attaches to uh, maximally a 50-pound shield, which will stop 306 AP rifle rounds. And it, it distributes the weight off the shield and onto the back and shoulders of the operator, enabling that operator to do rapid deployment, combining a rifle with the heavy shield and going in and uh, addressing an active shooter or a person with a rifle, a killer of sorts. So uh, that's the best way to get in touch with us is through the website. You know, we have products all over the country, all over the world. And, uh, you know, we've... uh, 
we we just had a we just had a, a save up in up in Chicago area yeah. of uh, of a federal agent who took a round in one of our shields and survived. So uh, wow, you know, great. Yep. So well, Al, uh, this was a great interview. Uh, it was glad to, I'm glad to see you. I haven't seen you for maybe. Uh, 30 years. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, and yeah. uh, this is, reminds me of old times, and I still yeah. remember that talking robot scene. Oh, yeah. My, <laughs> my, my pal, that robot, you know, yeah. changed my life. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, Kevin, Kevin, tell, you, tell the audience how uh, you're signing off. Well, thank you, Captain. Um, on, that, on that note, I'd like to thank retired Lieutenant Al Baker. Thank you very much for being on our show today. Another episode of Cop Talk. For everyone out there, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to Cop Talk. You could also follow us on Twitter at Cop Talk WABC. That's at Cop Talk WABC. Until next time, stay safe out there. Thank you. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.